This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I am joined with Susan Chappelle today or this evening. Thank you for joining us. A bit of a, a catch up, I guess, of, of where you've been since the election. Well, thank you very much for having me back on, Marcus. I think the last time actually we did talk to you was during your campaign. That's uh, right. During the campaign itself. And uh, we, we had our interview. And uh, now the election is over. And now you sort of seem to be the, the odd one out. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I've always just been the odd one on council, but now I'm the odd one out. I don't know how to put it. I, I, it's like I'm trying to put it as nicely as possible, but you didn't win. So um, that's a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. So you seem very cheerful about it. And, oh yeah. Uh, so that that election though is is there any reflections upon that? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think running for election is a privilege. And the fact that everybody can run for election, I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful way to get to know your community. I've always maintained that elections are, you know, this one, although this one was a little bit different, I found it a little bit more cruel and unusual uh, with the impact of social media and attacking. Mm -hmm. This time was a little bit more abrupt than the last election, but I still, I love the, being forced into speech writing and public speaking and being able to speak about what you're passionate about and resolving community issues. And yeah, there were some great people that ran for election and we split the vote massively. So yeah, uh, yeah with the demographics. So it was really interesting. But you know that going in. You, as soon as everybody's declared, you can sort of figure out what's going to happen and you do your best. And I really, I love this community. I love standing up for it. And I love being an advocate and I'm not going to stop being an advocate. Well, I know I've seen you on Facebook. You're, you're not you're not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't know if that's because uh, you haven't sort of gotten over it yet. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's bitterness, but it was like, I'm still going to do my thing. Grr. Or is it because there is a true, uh, a true love for the community? I've I, been in this community for 20 years now doing that exact same thing. I came uh, the first time I had trouble getting a business license because nothing was zoned commercial for professionals to work in. The very first time I realized that it had been an incredibly long time since the official community plan had been passed and that my business was prohibited from running in this community, I had to advocate for myself or I'd have no job. Mm -hmm. So it was not only advocating for myself, but all the other small business owners. And I still feel strongly about uh, public input into the budget and ensuring that we're protecting our small businesses. So I am going to be speaking about that. And if I, and I having been in there for seven years, I do know about the, I do know the budget and running for mayor, I learned more mm -hmm. about our budget. So. so how do you advocate though? Do you join up with a group like the BIA or do you do your own thing? Like how, how do you plan to become an advocate and sort of get across your um, your message, so to speak. You know, I'm hoping that we, there's a lot of great people on city council right now. And there's a business owner and there's people that ran on uh, small businesses and advocating for small businesses. So I think I at least have to give them a chance. Mm -hmm. But the uh, argument on Facebook the other day was in community grants and aid. And that is, I've always been passionate about ensuring that money and resources come from the right pot. And it was really interesting because 
I, you know, the library used to be in Grantonade and they had to come every single year and they had a reoccurring Grantonade and it was for a massive amount, but it makes you compete against people that have to stand up and write grants mm-hmm. to obtain municipal tax funds for resources. And we've always put our healthcare resources in there. And when provincial funding isn't as robust as it should be uh, or doesn't come through, oftentimes we get healthcare groups that need resourcing, such as hospice this year. So mm-hmm. that was my beef this year is that hospice needs to be funded. It's a requirement of our community. Uh, we need a brick and mortar hospice and that there's funds that should not be taken for other things in grant and aid that could be transferred to hospice. Right. Obviously. Well, that, yeah, it's it's a big issue. That's um, a no-brainer. You wouldn't pass on the idea of joining, like, say, a group like BIA or has a louder voice, or do you feel like you can you can be a, a one-woman wrecking machine? <laughs> <laughs> wrecking machine? No. I, uh, you know, healthcare has always been my jam on council, and that is what's missing on council. I think that it's important in our society to have somebody that's advocating for resources for people and for people that can't afford. And often you end up getting a demographic on council that hasn't been through the I can't afford realm of society. So their opinions are predicated on not having that understanding and not our council I'm talking about all councils and all political systems you know you have a recognition that there's people having hardships but unless you've actually been through hardships and it could be uh, being out on the streets or being uh, you know even a hardship of owning a business where you're going through heart attacks in a startup mode (laughs) on a regular basis like a line collective yeah, that, well, my business, two years, yeah. right? And it's just like, uh, <laughs> oh, come that's on. exactly it. Yeah. We're the little engine that could, but we're just starting that hill, right? So you, yeah. you sort of feel it. But I mean, you, you know how the system works. So I think you would know how to get your message across to the people who you need to get the message across to. Like say someone else has a has a little bit of an issue or has something to take up with council. What's the best way to sort of go to council and say, hey, listen, I've got A, B, C, D, E. What can you do? Yeah, I think that getting in touch with individual counselors that resonate with you and having them understand your message. And if it resonates with them, they have every option to bring it up and put it on an agenda for discussion. If it's a change that needs making in process or if it's land use planning, but uh, council really does have limited uh, limited abilities to control things, But uh, and budget is the best way to control things. Uh, funding things or not funding things is basically your lever Mm -hmm. and the essential resources of fire and police and our public services. uh, And uh, the town is growing like crazy. And because we are building massive developments everywhere, uh, a lot of the resourcing is going to come, some of it's going to come from developers, but a lot of it's going to come from taxpayers and upgrading services. Right. Aside from that now, you're, you're, you're moving on. You're, you're going into bigger and better things, I would say. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, what's, what's, what's post-political career for, for Susan Chappelle? That's really interesting. You know, I've always, me and Brian Reiser basically 
advocated for a lot of changes in uh, cannabis policy. While I was on council, I put forward uh, early that we have zoning for dispensaries and that we have you know adequate cannabis policy in place before we had an onslaught mm-hmm. of applications when cannabis became legal. And you know, I, I never thought I'd see the day of cannabis legalization in my lifetime. And I'm not sure if we've spoken about uh, my healthcare before, but no. I've got, uh, I've always had a healthcare issue with my, I've got really bad lungs and uh, connective tissue and I have inflammation throughout my body. And I was born, uh, I was born with this disease and I, nobody knows what it is. And uh, I spent most of my childhood in the hospital. And when I moved out here, I had a respirologist and I used to race bikes, but I was always 25th, 26th and all the races when I was racing with Sorka. And uh, I went to a respirologist and asked him and he said, you need to smoke cannabis. Hmm. What year was this? uh, That was about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had been on, you know, an occasional user. I was a stagehand. So whenever it was around, (laughs) it was almost (laughs) impossible not to be a user. Well, you're a musician. It happens. Yes, exactly. I go to a respirologist that deals with cystic fibrosis patients because my lungs are particularly bad. And he said that he had done a study and that in the past, he would have kicked anybody that was using cannabis out of his practice, but his study was blinded and 98% of his lung patients were using cannabis to deal with their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you should try it. And so my husband said the same thing, you should try it. And I tried it before... Uh, riding my bike one day and it was the first time I could fully breathe and not have to take medication while I was riding. Wow. And my, I came third in the gear jammer, which for me was, you know, with this massive disease that actually affects my ability to get air into my lungs and my heart rate is really hard to stabilize and it's, it's, uh, it's prohibitive. I always had a time limit on my life. I was always told that I was going to pass away from the disease. And here's this substance that I'd been taking and I knew it made me feel better, but now it was okay because my doctor was telling me it was okay to do. Right. It sort of takes off that stigma a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. It was, but still being a politician, it's still stigmatized. You right. know, there is politicians that we'd be going into the, you know, still going into the corners and hiding under the staircases mm-hmm. to smoke cannabis. Uh, and now well, it removed the stigma for you anyway. Yeah, it removed the yeah. stigma for me, but still being in politics, it was still stigmatized. Right. So even though I was prescribed it, I was still hiding under the staircases and I'd still smoke it at home or vaporize it when vape came in. Mm-hmm. And I stayed out of the hospital. I haven't been in the hospital since. So it's really exciting to have something that changes your life like that. And when I left council, I thought, you know, this is an emerging industry. Everybody knew it was that everybody's talking about the amount of investment that's going into this industry. Yeah, because emerging is a bit of an, uh, I think, an understatement. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think, more exploding. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the amount of money that's been thrown at this industry right now. We're talking like like one, that one company in Nanaimo, Tilray, I think it is, that yeah. was worth more than American Airlines at one point. Yeah, that's right. You know, so I mean, yeah, emerging is a bit of an understatement. Yeah, it's coming. It's an industry that's coming out of prohibition. So, and that everybody relates it, even though I don't like putting it in the same vat as alcohol. 
everybody relates it to looking at alcohol and the emergence of that industry. Or well, the government's looking at it that way too. That, and the when, can, when it comes it. to regulation, I, I think is because and taxation. Yeah, because I mean, it was one of those things. Uh, I always knock Trudeau on this a little bit. Uh, it was the fact is like, well, I reneged on the election reform, and then I reneged on two other promises, and now the marijuana. What do I do? What do I do? What do I? Well, you legal. know what? Let's just make it legal. <laughs> okay, provinces, you figure it out, and we'll take half the money. How does that work for you? And then government, what do they do? They basically use a system that they know best. It's like, okay, well, this is how we handle our alcohol, so let's do the same thing. We have to, we're taxing per ounce anyway, so what best system that we know helps tax per ounce? And it's our alcohol system. Yeah. So, so, you know, and BC has very stringent liquor laws in comparison to other provinces. Absolutely. So, and, you know, they have, they know for sure how many ounces are being sold where and they can account for as much tax. It's not doing it because of sake of that's the best way to do it, but that's the best way they can make their tax from it, you know? And it's not really conducive to the product itself but I mean it's a start there's a lot of that absolutely yeah. you have to start somewhere and this is emerging regulations and the issue is is this has been a massive product for British Columbia and there are small farmers that have not been allowed to basically enter the industry. And I'm really proud of the NDP for starting micro-licensing, but the municipalities have not been brought along. Mm -hmm. So now we have provincial regulations and federal regulations and Health Canada regulations, which by the way, Health Canada regulations show that there's been no, it's, it's something that can do no harm. There's no overdosing. There's no, you sit people down when they've smoke too much <laughs> and order <laughs> a pizza Cheetos. probably <laughs> but uh it's to me uh my new go- my new job is is interested in that sector is basically i'm the uh, director of government relations and it's about for me it's educating municipalities on how to bring their their cannabis industry into regulatory compliance, Mm -hmm. but also to take benefit and have some education on what this industry can bring to the coffers. But right now, the way the tax regime is set up is that the municipalities don't have a share of it. And this is being worked on. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation I had with actually with Brian Reiser and and Jackie Menezes, who who was the chair of the the cannabis lunch because she worked on the initial uh, groundwork in the federal office and the federal about legalizing cannabis. And that's that's the thing. And that's the thing I argued with them, too, about the municipality angle is like what municipality will want to do this? Because uh, it seems like the benefit goes back to the provinces uh, and it goes back to the federal government. But then the, the municipality is stuck with enforcement. They pay for the police. They pay for RCMP, they have to pay for the extra uh, policing. They have to do, you know, the only you way they keep saying make, policing, but well, policing you know I mean. isn't really. But there's you, more policing with alcohol than there is with cannabis. But you, you know what I mean, though, because it's there legal has, now. But, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but there's still like the, the worry. Of course, the big worry about under the influence, driving on the influence, and all those random checks now they're talking about. And the only thing but that the, 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 the statistics only, around that are really interesting as well, because really they don't expect any more people to drive under the influence. And there's a study that actually shows that people unlike alcohol that makes you brave and want to go drive your car mm-hmm. cannabis is the opposite the cannabis users actually make conscious decisions not to drive if they feel impaired and that's actually been studied but, and but the only way the municipalities will make their money is by yeah. issuing business licenses if they get a space right. they get their $200 from a business license so that's dispensaries they don't, they don't, there's yeah. a difference between there's so, all sorts of different market opportunities for municipalities well that's what I'm saying Like, so this is how the municipalities see it right now it's like I'm only going to get my business license yes. money how am I going to get any money out of this except 
except I have all the headaches with it. So how do you how do you turn that around for the municipalities? Absolutely. Well, there's now they've issued micro licenses for growing, and there's you know these massive huge canopy style growing cannabis opportunities. It's more small scale farmers, people that have been dealing it with it in the, in the illicit market for ages. They have all the knowledge, all the skills to bring a product to market. And we will get a share of taxes. I think that this is all just being worked out. But it's also employment. And but, it's also how and where how would they get it's their share employment taxes? and it's real estate okay. taxes. They they are people that go into buildings, mm-hmm. um, and with the security and the ventilation, there's an entire industry set up that will help uh, guide people through the process of getting their licensed producer, their LP. And for municipal governments, they have to regulate and standardize the regulations across municipalities because right now. None of these small farmers that have been bringing the product to market are able to enter the market. And it's going to be all corporations if we don't allow these small farmers to actually come into the market. And that's municipal employment. Whereas you can have, you know, the bigger producers in in larger situations, but you look at California and California is getting the regulations right. So there are examples. Usually we try and do everything from scratch where Mm -hmm. we've got examples of legalization in Colorado, in California, in Washington state, and they're greatly benefiting because if the province benefits, those are grants back to the municipality as well. We benefit means, in healthcare. We benefit to, in he- education. But that, that means the province has to guarantee benefits. They have to guarantee grants to go back to the municipalities. I mean, does the well, province like, make those guarantees? Well, it all goes into the coffers, yet? right? There's no guarantee of anything well, we that's pay what I'm taxes saying. for. Like, say I'm Jack Crompton and I'm in yeah. Whistler, right? I don't want. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to have marijuana in my in my 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 resort because that's an extra thing I have to worry about. Pemberton, they're talking about getting a license and squamish license. I'm sorry. Back up. Uh, marijuana is an extra thing. You've been dealing with alcohol and date rape and all. <laughs> All these horrible things going on because of illicit drugs and cannabis is actually okay. Well, I'm Jack Crompton. Convince me. I, cannabis is shown <laughs> uh, shown to be a way to actually get off of opioids. It's a better pain control than opioids. But it's, it's not a problem great, I have in Whistler. Which opioids? Yeah, I don't. I, I have party drugs and I have that sort of stuff. But then when these people move on, they move on, right? And and the fact that my resources are already spent on going cracking down the opioids because of other issues, like it's, it's one of those. I'm sorry, things I'm where, not sure how that relates to opening up. Well, this access is what, to a legal product. I just it's one of those things. Like if I want to, if I'm going to change things around and have this product, right? I mean, I you have to show me where's the money. And, and right now, I don't think anyone can yeah. tell me where the money is. I totally agree with that. There's yeah. a lot of problems with the regulations you, with with municipalities actually gaining benefit but the you know one of the most exciting things for me about cannabis is the amount of science that's being done right now and you know except for my fear that there will be no more basic science because cannabis is funding so much science right now mm-hmm. uh, there's neuroscientists that you know neuroscientists that are interested in studying its effects and you know everybody knows that there are positive effects to some of the terpenes and some of the components of cannabis. And now the fact that we actually have funding and access to product to be able to test things and understand the true benefits and and break out uh, what parts of the plant, although, you know, there's also the argument that you shouldn't be breaking out any parts of the plant, that it should remain a craft product. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of those things are possible in Canada. And I think we're, 
I'm really proud of the country for being able to move forward with both recreation and medicinal at the same time. And uh, now, you know, there's a funded chair and there's a funded position at UBC that Canopy's uh, supplying the resources for in order to study the benefits of cannabis mm-hmm. or the or the not so great benefits of cannabis. So you're, you're basically, you're, you're pitched to the municipalities to say this has actually a profound effect on, on the health of people and not necessarily, don't look at it as the recreational aspect, but as the, the medicinal aspect to help your, yeah. your constituents is what you're saying. Absolutely. It's access to medicine. It's, it's access, you know, there's so many senior citizens now that are, you look at the demographics of people that are now smoking cannabis and the women that are entering the industry and starting their own companies and having this massive opportunity to actually engage in, in uh, high paying economy jobs. And that's what, that's what cannabis is. It's a market that is going to be massive in Canada. BC does it the best. It pretty much globally. Our product is recognized globally. All the product, but not how we manage, though. Like the regulation All of it. behind We're it? getting everything is coming. There's a lot of different uh, economic benefits, software, management systems, how we grow. The, the plant knowledge in British Columbia is bar none, is, is, is globally recognized. From a regulatory aspect, though. From a regulatory aspect, we're going to be uh, no, absolutely not. Actually, Ontario's ahead of us. So with their only online way. Yes. Oh, exactly. Okay. No, not their only online way. Well, they're only licensing LP. They're getting LPs and craft growers into the market quickly. Okay. And they've got they've got a lot. And also First Nations partnerships, like First Nations in Ontario. I met. I was just at a conference, and I'm I met a guy that owns a dispensary on First Nations land. He's um, He's a young leader in his community. And they were saying they had 40 dispensaries in their small community. And that brought in so much money that when people came to their reserve, they were so excited to see amazing infrastructure that was mm-hmm. everything was paid for. And they could afford health care and they could afford to take care of their people. I was just could, I was just reading in the Cannabis Post. I mean, the Financial <laughs> Post. The Financial <laughs> Post has something called the Cannabis Post now. And I was just reading uh, about that, actually, about First Nations. And the Globe and Mail. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a the particular sun, article everybody. about the the First Nations like about cannabis. growing growing cannabis. Yep. And the fact that they uh, they might actually, for them, it actually might end up going to the Supreme Court whether they have the right to do whatever they want in terms of dispensary on their own land or not because it's federally regulated. Yeah. But um, but you know there are benefits to having it. I don't. I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm arguing with you as, as a sake of as a devil's advocate in terms of. Uh, as a municipality, if I'm a mayor and I'm hesitant, and like, yeah, I guess it's medicine. I understand that, but I mean, my local shoppers drug market—it's a market. My, 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 forget my, about forget about whether it's medicine or whether it's uh, you know whether it's just recreation. Either of those two things, this product is going to be globally marketed, and you can have people that are involved in the economy of this, or you can say, I don't want it in my economy. Well, I have to make it work for my economy. And that's and that's what your new job is, is well, to come so, to municipalities yes, and say, exactly. basically say, how does this work for my economy? Yes. Right? So I, I want... I, it's I not still, how does it work for the economy. It's where do you make a space for cro- small craft growers that are already existing in your economy? Do you tell all of them to shut down or do you make room and zoning for them? Okay. So it's not, it's not about, you know, this is going to be prohibitive or not so prohibitive. It's this is already going on in your economy. Okay. This is probably a good hunk of your economy and if you're small town BC in Nelson it's 70% of your economy it's the majority of your jobs you have nice restaurants in Nelson because of the cannabis economy and I walked around Nelson 
the other day and I was blown away at the amount of it would upscale things and maybe we don't want to be that but just the money people being able to afford to and re, you know reasonable everything mm-hmm. and nice everything mm-hmm. and great infrastructure and great transit and a lot of it paid for by the cannabis economy mm-hmm. so do you want to have your entire small growers that have uh, been living in your town, a part of your community, and contributing to the cannabis economy and contributing their skills, their resources, their knowledge to our BC economy, which is billions of dollars? Or do you want to shut down that economy and send your growers elsewhere? Because they will set up in other places that have less prohibitive economies. So other municipalities are going to be uh, passing micro-license bylaws and being welcoming to the growers and then uh, maintaining that economy. And that will bring resources because it's not just about what, what you take from property. What It's not just yeah. about what you take from property tax because uh, and on the, on the daily basis. It's the jobs and the money that you're creating in your community that is being spent in your community. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. Same as tech jobs. What does that right. do for me? Nothing. Right. You know, having cannabis around where my cancer patients at the clinic can actually walk to get their medication, uh, having people that have epilepsy have a chance to obtain their medication. We all know that there's, you know, you can watch, you don't have to go too far, the Cannabis Post, the $999 Globe of Mail <laughs> supplement that you can get delivered to your house now. But uh, you don't have to look too far to find the benefits of cannabis. And as an as somebody that's personally experienced those benefits, uh, you know, to be in illicit in an illicit market, they also you know labs. Think about how much money lab workers. There's going to be a lot of chemistry involved in in mm-hmm. standardized testing for with with uh, Health Canada, and there's going those are jobs as well. And those that having we have tech hubs. Why not have uh, like California has done green areas where they have extraction set up, where they have the labs set up, where right. they have microgrowers set up. And it's the same as any other agriculture. Is there is there a big fear of corporations coming in and just cleaning house because oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're you're because you're pushing for the local farmers so you're, you're talking about it, it, making backcountry brewery or a frame exactly. type of scenarios where yeah. they can make their own and, and sell their own product uh, because some people have the, the magic green thumb more than others um, is is because I mean we are talking about billions of dollars being thrown into this yes. industry and sp- like there's six companies alone worth over a billion dollars here in Canada. Yes, and, it's a lot and of money. And so and there is that scare that I know the big tobacco companies have also put in about six billion dollars collectively to that is get a into thing. cannabis. So I mean, it, it's all happening. Maybe so they'll quickly. get out of tobacco. Well, it's all happening so quickly, right? It is happening and quickly so, because legalization happens so quickly. Yeah. And so what what is the scare, though, about, say, big corporations swooping in? Uh, is it because we don't like Bud Light or we don't like Budweiser or Canadian? We like our micro stuff? No, I like, think we can. Yeah, I think that is we do like our micro thing. We like uh, we're an economy that likes knowing where our products came from. We like the story of our product. We like organic product. We like no pesticide product. We like to know our grower. 
We like a grower that's passionate about their product. And it's the same with our drinks. We like craft, we like our craft brew here. We like our craft coffee. We, we just like the story of our products. It makes us feel better that we're supporting. And I think supporting a local economy as well mm-hmm. is, you know, you can have, there'll be a lot of massive global companies swooping in on Canada. And if we don't protect our craft industry and allow them room to grow and compete in that economy, then we could, we have the chance of losing that economy. I think that would be tragic for BC mm-hmm. is to have this brilliant product that you can go to Amsterdam and when you say you're from BC, they just say BC bud. Well, <laughs> actually, I, to, here's a true story. I went, I went to be, I went to Amsterdam and they bas- I basically said, Hey, you know, I'm in Amsterdam. Let me get some, some bud. And basically said, where are you from? I said, Oh, I'm from, I'm from Vancouver. Well, a little North of Vancouver is like, how close is that from the sunshine coast? I said, it's pretty close. He goes, I can't, I can't help you. It's like, what do you mean? It's like the strongest stuff I have is from the sunshine coast and you'll probably pay quadruple what you would pay back home. It's like, actually, I actually don't pay anything. It's like, yeah, so I don't think I have anything that's worth your while. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And you know, you talk about strength and and everybody talks about THC, but I think the largest market is going to be in CBD. Yes. I honestly think that cosmetics and CBD oil and all the products surrounding it that are actually uh, maybe just a fatty acid or maybe just, you know, nobody really knows. No, I like said nobody knows. Nobody knows what the actual effect of all these combined chemicals are and craft growers would say that this is an entire it's a botanical melee of things that all work together Mm -hmm. and yeah the thc you get cognitive effects but the cbd is something that is going to go into everything it's already in dog biscuits and cat well we we talked to we talked to jenna's Carrera. she owns a cbd international and she was the first our o cannabis part one section there uh we talked to her extensively about the different products that are involved and there's about six or seven countries vying uh, to get into yes, for, the get, for the extraction to yeah. get their products on shelves in Canada and, and basically her job now is to find shelf space in drugstores across the country uh, I'm, I'm sure she could be rolling in money very soon um, and so yeah it is a big miracle thing and it, is it, it may not be but as I'm saying with I asked all the her, science I asked that's her going flat on. out like is this yeah. like overblown is this like that you know there's always a new craze there's always a new fad is CBD like more of a fad and she she's a fervent believer that it's it's the real thing this is the miracle thing well i know from my lung disease that it has you know there's nothing that says it works than being intubated and in the hospital and told you're gonna die Mm. and then taking a product that helps you stay out of the hospital forever and race bikes going from that to that you're a believer I am a believer. I'm a believer. I'm an advocate. I work, the people in my company are amazingly passionate about bringing craft products to market and maintaining the the wholeness of the plant and ensuring that small growers can actually maintain a place in the economy. And, you know, 20 years here, all the craft growers I know, there are a lot of craft growers. There's a lot of people making money off that industry. And... They're growers. They're not, uh, you know, how do I get my business license? How do I get my LP going? What are the steps I have to go through? And every step is really expensive. And so... Uh, well, you're saying they're trying to get all these uh, these micro-growing yeah. uh, uh, licenses. There's only five in the province, you said. 
There's only five. That's right. And, been and so is, is that <laughs> not fast enough or is that? There's a, no, there's, it's not fast enough. Yeah. It's not, uh, because the process is, is still pretty prohibitive mm-hmm. and, uh, there was an uh, an amazing article by Laura Kane the other day, and it actually made the front page of the Post. She basically spoke exactly and directly to the point of municipalities being the blockage. It's not the province. It's basically that municipalities don't have zoning. So in in uh, Nelson, a lot of the growers are in residential too. And that's not zoned for micro licenses, mm-hmm. but they are being, they're working through the process. So they're going to be bringing on a lot of the craft licenses. But here we didn't really, we talked about dispensaries a ton and we didn't talk about growing. And the ALR is another issue is the, uh, you know, the Ministry of Agriculture set the ALR lands and the growers in the ALR for cannabis have to grow in the ground, which is incredibly bad for the, it's not bad for the plant, but it's a lot of, a lot more controls. And with science, you need a controlled environment. So it's, uh, if you're making medicine, which I think should be a use in the, is growing medical marijuana on ALR land should be a no brainer, Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't grow it in soil where the chances of mold and uncontrolled bugs and things that you have very little effect over in the natural environment. Whereas if you have it in a greenhouse and they're very small greenhouses, this isn't covering your entire ALR land with greenhouses. It's setting up a micro crop that can be grown in the off season. So if you're growing on your land in the ALR during the year and you need a winter crop, cannabis would be the perfect winter crop to help farmers. Right earn money so they can actually keep open and invest in their farms. Mm-hmm. I actually talked to Riser about this, I think last year or two years ago. And I, I foresee this apart from smoking laws, like, because you can't really smoke in public. I was thinking of, of myself, of these, these craft growers actually like, you know how we have wine tours and in, in the Okanagan. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of like, if something like uh, the, 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 the bud trail, you know, or like a cannabis That's trail. already being done. I met yeah. a guy that's doing cannabis tourism in, in California. And he was telling me that it used to be hippies that would go down and know, want to see the history of uh, the activism. Because the activism is fascinating as well. When you understand the amount of activism it took to get to this point of legalization and the people that are passionate about the product. It's an amazing history. And California and San Francisco is the center of a lot of that history. And uh, he does these tours of the legislation uh, and the the advocacy. And then he takes people to the farms and shows them growing and shows them extraction and shows them the new green, uh, the green zoning areas. And he said, now it's all changed to massive investors and they just want tour of grow ups mm-hmm. and it's, uh, of growers operations. And basically he's bringing people around to invest money in different places. And it's no longer the grassroots thing. And I think that concerns a lot of people, but I think there's going to be room in the market for both. There's going to be the people that want to extract the exact terpene profile to do one specific thing and make it a pharmaceutical. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be the people that want it to be a botanical craft plant Mm -hmm. that is going to be in cosmetics and in bath salts and in lip balms Mm -hmm. and doggy treats. And doggy treats, exactly. If you look at, say, the the beer market, right? Like mm. we've we've had our, our brands forever, our Canadians and our Millers and all that sort of stuff. And then craft breweries started 
uh, when I was in Ontario, it started there with a few smaller ones. But then anytime it got into a certain level, the big boys used to buy them up. Now, though, we're at a point where with craft breweries where you have uh, your standalones, your standalones, like yeah. the back country and you have your A-frames and you have all these other countries, like the Coast Mountain and Whistler. And they're going to, and if you came to them and say, we're going to buy your stuff, they're like, no, we're doing our thing because we're doing it because we love it. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's starting, a passion project. it's a passion project yeah. and, it, and it's starting a tourism sort of uh, type of like, um, where people drive up the corridor, they'll stop at A-frame to taste their stuff and they'll go to back country and taste their stuff, especially since back country is being recognized across the province. Yes. And they'll go to Coast Mountain and they'll, they'll taste all these craft breweries and all this different things. So. And now cider. And cider's coming up there as well. And coffee. So we I'm have great thinking, craft coffee. So is, is marijuana or cannabis far behind or... Is that something that can be you know, developed on? I don't think people realize how close it is. And all we need is the zoning. You know, we have zoning for craft beer, but we don't have zoning for craft cannabis. Mm -hmm. That is a big miss in the economy because you can be darn sure that there's going to be cannabis tourism as well. And Squamish is set up perfectly for that. We aren't an industry town anymore and we are a craft we're people that like riding bikes. Cannabis is a big part of our culture here. And craft beer is a big part of our culture. And craft spirits is a big part of our culture. We have this, great craft spirits. We're going to have to change our smoking laws then. You know, I don't know if we need to change our smoking laws because we have vaping. You know, vaping is not smoking mm -hmm. and it's not burning substances. And that's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can ingest cannabis. And they're coming up very soon. They're looking at legislation for edibles as well. And also the largest growing market is women in this economy, uh, women users of, of cannabis. And I, I would say that parenting... <laughs> <laughs> parenting and cannabis are two things that go together as well but uh it's uh you know for for moms that i've spoken to and and over the years of being involved in mom groups the citizen science that goes on with the cbd oil uh because of you know just wanting it's it's now proven so there is I was just remembering that there is uh, CBD oil is apparently a great antidepressant and works works as well as some. It seems of, like it cures everything. It does. It's good for everything. You can take it <laughs> sublingually. You can take it transdermally. You can put it on. Yeah, it's good for everything. Well, let's see. Like I, I, at one point, I'm, I'm going to try some CBD oil. If my knee pain goes away, my shoulder, my neck, and my head pain that I've been living with for the last 20 years goes away, then I'll, I'll believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough. Yeah, arthritic pain. No, it's not arthritis. It's just I've been very abusive with my sister there you go. For, for many years. Hard using game. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, but now it cures depression, it cures this. So this is where I'm saying that I think this is where people are like, come on now, how miracle is this, right? But, yeah, well, um, you look at, you know, most things come from botanicals. Mm -hmm. Chemotherapy comes from botanicals. It's the yew tree that was tapped for chemotherapy, which is amazing. You know, you think of all the things and, you know, antibiotics coming from mold and just amazing all the things that we can learn from botany and that uh, the science of it is immense and massive and it's looking, you know, the amount of cancer. I uh, listened to a cancer researcher today you know, the work that he's doing to separate the terpenes and to separate the profile of all the botanicals in cannabis and then combining them to see what effect it has on tumors with great results. And, uh, you know, I do 
I worry about the snake oil science. I'm, I, but you know, you can't ignore the results that are coming out. So for government's sake now, for the terms of, of regulation, what's what's step number one that we should be doing properly? Ensuring that your small growers have municipal licenses, and that will take ensuring that they have places to grow. Making sure that if it's whatever municipalities decide, whether it be they want it to be an industrial use, uh, and we allow it in our industrial park, but we've put weird meter boundaries around things that aren't realistic. Those things are coming down. Brian Reiser managed to break down that boundary by having his dispensary close to a school mm-hmm. um, but in the business park that is the zoning needs to change in the business park to allow okay. craft dispensaries and then step two after that once you've reached that goal allowing the licensing of your growers and your dispensaries and then once you get the business licenses they can go through the LP process and then Health Canada regulates so we think it's our bylaw officers and we think it's our staff, but it's the opposite. If we don't have the regulations in place, the amount of staff time and resources and bylaw officer staff that it's going to take when you have every individual grower coming for a rezoning for every individual property oh, okay, that they're yeah. sitting on yeah. is going to be expensive mm-hmm. and time consuming. You will have 50 rezonings that will come into place. And if they have to wait in line with behind development, it's it's going to destroy the economy in the town. Mm-hmm. So we need to be forward thinking about this. We need to be proactive about it. Municipalities need to understand the importance of their craft products to their economy, to their tourism economy, and to the British Columbian economy. So what does the province need to do that's that's better than what they're doing now? Like, Share the resources. Because I, I know, it's, yeah, because <laughs> I know it's not perfect, right? No, it's not bad though. And they are, you know, the conversation, the fact that we can talk about these things is very new and exciting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just put things in place that we thought were good. And we, exactly as you explained, the province is going to have to sit, share some of the taxes. The feds are going to have to, the municipalities need their cut because we have downloading of healthcare and education issues. We have downloading of daycare issues. There's things that our municipalities have to afford. Our infrastructure is failing, we, you know, dealing with our water and sewer. A cannabis economy can help budget for all of these things. If we have a multi-billion dollar cannabis economy that is taxed, it's better. We all talk about transitioning economy. This is an amazing way to transition an economy away from any other economies that we don't want to participate in, such as fossil fuels. It's as good as green energy. It's uh, it's the fact that it is in the pharmaceutical space. It's in the research space. you know, the amount of labs and testing that's going to have to go on, we could be a global resource for the cannabis industry and be looked upon as, you know, the regulations that do it right. Or we could be like a lot of the under other industries, we could be prohibitive in our zoning, prohibitive in our policy. And in two years, the economy will go elsewhere. And I think we have a very short period of time before things actually are taken over elsewhere and it will be about the speed that we can regulate and it's known that gla- uh, governments work at a glacial speed mm-hmm. so it will be in the innovation and speed that municipal and provincial governments can operate to ensure that the people that are 
participating in this economy have the wherewithal and the legislation to do so. That's your new job right there. It's basically, you know, getting the message out there that, hey, we need to get on this now. Absolutely. We need to get, to get this done. So because it will be a great benefit for everyone. Well, with that, thank you for joining me today. The event. Oh, the event. That's yes. right. We have to talk about the event. The just event. for a brief moment. The 50, 53 days of cannabis. 53 days of Christmas cannabis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's great. On the 53rd day of Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's this, this Saturday at the Alliance Collective, and you're going to talk about the 53 days of, of what's... Of uh, what has come about in 53 days. Yeah. And it's really great. Aaron, Dr. Aaron Shapiro is a brilliant forensic toxicologist, and he'll be speaking about driving regulations and... And uh, cannabis in your body, basically, what mm-hmm. the toxic effects of cannabis could be and looking to the future. And uh, Bron Hogan from BC Craft Supply is going to speak about exactly what we were speaking about today is the small farming culture. He's been a grower since he was 13 and he's experienced the illicit culture now coming into legalization and our own Brian Reiser speaking mm-hmm. about his experience and he's amazing because he's gone through the healthcare, oh, yeah. the dispensary. We, the we've had everything. him on a podcast yes, and exactly. it was, it was, he's, he's always entertaining. If you have a chance, listen to the podcast that yeah. Mark has put out on with Brian Reiser and Jackie Menez. They're two yeah. fabulous advocates. He's quite, he's quite a personality. I've known that man for years actually. Yes. I've known him for almost 18 years now. Being on council with him was a riot too. <laughs> I'm sure it was yeah. because he's, he's, he's that type of personality. Yeah, but it's uh, you can find the event online at mm-hmm. Line Collective, and it's 53 days of cannabis legalization, and I will be presenting on the economy of cannabis. So I will be presenting in fact form uh, the benefits to the BC economy, the benefits to the municipal economy, and where we have to go from here. Perfect. Well, again, well, thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Susan. And hopefully uh, when, you're, when you're in town and not advocating to municipalities across the province, uh, we can get a, a, you know, a catch up of what you've been doing. I really appreciate having this conversation with you always, Marcus. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on. 